Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey there, Pounders. This is J.R. Wilco with today's Unnecessary Foolishness. It's episode 45 of the Superfluous Poppycock Podcast. I've got Charlie Thaddeus here with me, and we're going to be discussing all things Spurs. How you doing, Charlie? Well, I guess I could be doing better. Oh, did something go wrong, or are we talking about Spurs? I mean, we're always talking about Spurs. That's what we're here for. And we are just in general, always talking about the Spurs, aren't we? Yeah, I think that's probably probably the case with most of us. Let's get started speaking specifically about uh, how, how interesting, how odd, how unusual it is to watch a group of guys wear the silver and black, says Spurs on the chest, but the way that they're playing, not necessarily the players, is pretty unrecognizable for what we're used to. Yeah, it's it's been a pretty bizarre couple weeks, I guess. Um, I think the the last time that you and I talked um, on here, we were we were still in the early throes of the season, and um, all we were doing was getting excited about the potential for Dejounte Murray having a big year and all the exciting things that we were going to do, and. Uh, it just couldn't couldn't be more different now. <laughs> I think we were talking about how well DeJounte Murray was finishing. Yeah. Well, and that doesn't seem to be a thing anymore. It's it's alarming, I guess. Um I mean, I guess it's too early to be jumping off a cliff about anything that's happening um overall, but uh I feel like we have enough data at this point to to notice that it's just not a thing that he's doing well right now. Yeah, he was his first season, first two seasons. He was uh, oh, I you can't sugarcoat this. He was the worst in the NBA Oof. for at at finishing inside five feet uh, for enough guys that were taking enough attempts in there. And that's, and that seems to have reared its head again. I don't know if that's uh, an adjustment that the rest of the league is making to putting pressure on him, but it's not just his ability to finish next to the rim. It's also his decision-making anytime the Spurs are out running. We can talk about the fast break stuff later. I think I want to spend an entire section on that, but here's the thing that, that, 
that bothers me when I watch the Spurs is just how regularly, how often, how consistent it is that they look disorganized. It happens on defense, and that's that's frustrating because just the, the, the defensive woes. The defense is the problem of the Spurs. It's not the offense. doesn't matter how few or many threes they take. They are scoring points. We're, we're a top 10 offense at this point, aren't we? The Spurs are a top 10 offense and have been all season long. All the way stretching back to the long ago days when the Spurs had the first spot in the Western Conference. They were the number one seed there for a sure, good half day sure. or so. And <laughs> so, yeah, but even all the way back to then, this was this was a a top ten offense. It's the defense can't can't get any stops. That's that's the thing. The Spurs have always been able to dig down and get stops through this run these last 20 years. When I say always, yes, there were some some tough years and tough stretches of years in 2010, 2011, even 2012 before they made the the trade for Boris Diaw. There was some there was some time in 2008, 2009 where PTR commenters would would talk about how the team was just the big three and just a whole bunch of whatever those days uh are obviously long gone and what we have now is is a lot of disorganization and a team that struggles to to get stops and a team that cannot close and that's that's really frustrating because any tight game when you watch tight game after tight game and you see them slip away one after another. What what comes into play as a fan is you watch and you go, "Oh, well, I'm watching the game. I'm doing. I'm supporting the team as I always do. That's not going to change." But I don't have that underlying belief. I'm hoping, but I not much. <laughs> yeah, the underlying well, belief that the team's going to pull it out isn't there. I think that it's it's a weird thing to just look at the team across the board and like I, I like all the individual pieces. I mean you look at any one player, you look at DeMar, you look at Lil Marcus, you look at Bryn Fort, you look at you look at all these guys individually and you're like, I like that piece. That's a good piece. He does a lot of good things. I like what he brings to the table. Um and then it's weird to kind of take a step back and look at all the pieces together and be like, what what does this do? Like how does it <laughs> How does it, like, what does this do well? Um, and the answer is right now, not a lot. They don't, they don't function well together. Um, yes. And that, I, the lack of cohesion on that front is, it's off-putting. It's not something we've really, we've really seen before. And I think that that just comes from, we've, we've all spent so much time uh, with a team that's been a hallmark of consistency. You know, you've had, Tim and Manu and Tony and everything else can change and you know pops there as well and it's everything else can change but that's our bedrock and everything else flows through that and that's consistent and you know that that's the plan um, and right now I and I, I I've written about this a couple of times but I just I look at these guys and I'm like what's the plan what are, what are we doing here what are we trying to accomplish and it's really hard to tell that cohesion. <laughs> Lack of cohesion is, I think, uh, elephant in the room at times. 
this isn't that much different of a team than it was last year. Last season, 48, 48 wins. It didn't appear by the numbers or by the eye test that the, that the team was grossly outplaying its competence level. It seemed to be pretty well matched. It, you could say that they lost a couple of games they should have won. Maybe they won a couple of games that you know they could have lost. But they were about a 48-win team last year. That A team like that doesn't push the Nuggets to seven games by accident. They were playing good ball. And they could get stops. And I don't think losing Davos Bertans made that big a difference to the team's defense. This team yeah. is playing defense as an entirely different thing now. And it, it doesn't seem to make sense from a fan's perspective when you, when you think about the fact that DeJounte Murray's out on the floor, unless you want to say his freelancing and his, his uh, poorly timed blitzing of the ball is, is one of the things that's unbalanced the defense. But even then, he's he's still only playing 20 21 22 minutes a game it's not like there's a, a whole lot more space of that game where we've where we're getting data from this team that it's not like the defense roars to life as soon as he hits the bench this is a this is an ongoing almost systemic looking problem that's such a head scratcher because the team is so like it was last year and yet so unlike. I was trying to think back on last season, um, and we did go through stretches where like we, we had had bad months last last season. Like the 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 I think either December or January was really bad. Um the the rodeo road trip was really bad. Like we went through pretty tough like obviously not as bad of losing streaks, but we went through months where it like the Spurs looked bad and it and it didn't they weren't playing well. Um, and it, it just felt, it felt different than right now. It feels more dire right now. And I, I, I can't quite put my finger on what's changed other than I think that last season felt like we were playing with an edge that, you know, coming off the Kawhi trade, there was, everyone was trying to prove that we were okay. We were going to figure this out. We're, we're being defiant. And right now it doesn't feel like there's an edge. No, no one, I don't know. No, no one has a has a specific goal in mind other than this ambiguous. We want to play better. We want to get better, and that's that's just going to be a problem. That's the attitude that you see when they're in front of a microphone, right? But I think it's interesting that you said la- last season's team played with an edge. I don't see that kind of attitude on the court consistently. I see it from from Lamarcus. Uh, we should definitely saw it from Lamarcus on Monday night. He looked great playing against, Lakers. playing against Anthony playing against Anthony Davis, which seems to always bring out the best in him. I would <laughs> I would love to trot that Lamarcus out every single game. Yeah, it, it, of course it's a it is a, a difficult thing coming with the exact same passion and the exact same approach and the same tools and that that's what made. Tim Duncan so amazing. It's what made uh, watching the team built around him, that consistency and those fundamentals, so incredible. I'm not 
trying to expect the same from Lamarcus. We've seen him often enough, long enough now to to know who he is and what he gives you. And he's having a career year. Let's see, Jeff Duarte just posted a, a story early Tuesday morning about all the different statistical measures in which Lamarcus is having his best numbers, posting his best numbers ever. And it's just not translating out. And that's just one other reason why the, the Spurs are so unrecognizable to us fans this year. Do you think do you think it's disheartening for the guys in that room, um, the guys on that team to not feel like they're necessarily playing for a championship? It has like, to be. Like we all I mean, obviously you you say all the right things, you head into a season thinking that you can win the title, you think you can you're like, we're going to do the best we can to do the best we can, all that. But these guys have all been around the league long enough to kind of have a sense of their place in it. And you can punch a little bit above your weight, a little bit below your weight. But, you know, a guy like LaMarcus or DeMar, they're they're getting on in their in their careers. And they're probably thinking to themselves, you know, how many how many more bites of this apple do I have? And to kind of go into a season and feel like, this is already a lost season, maybe? Is that, I mean, do you think that, that that just plays into the mentality there of, you know, these games where we see it comes to the fourth quarter and you see guys kind of just be like, well, what does it matter, you know? Charlie, I wasn't expecting you to depress me today. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm just. No, I don't know, you apologize. This, uh, Marcus is a part of a 67-win team, right? He knows what it's like to go out there not just as a professional athlete, but to go out there as in this city as a part of this team with with the silver and black on, and expect to win every game, or expect to to know what he's going to be doing, what the result is going to look like. And now he didn't obviously bring home the championship in any of those seasons, but I think this is very interesting the way that you're. That you're approaching this is from the from the attitude of bringing it every game, from the understanding that you have to bring it all the time, every time, not being there. I'm wondering if there's if there's a lack of a pull on the court. Obviously, Timmy's still a part of the team, or he's right. once again a part of the team, which is fantastic. Love him sitting on the sidelines. We can talk about his kid at the end, I guess. Always, always, always talk about that fit, but. Close close aside, he's not on the court. He can see things happening, but he's got to approach them obliquely. And he can't just go out there and say, guys, watch me for the next five minutes. I'm going to show you what it means to really care about this particular game in late November. That's over. People always talk about how Tim would always lead by example. Um, like that was his leadership style. And I think it, we're kind of saying exactly what you're talking about. It's hard to lead by example when you're you're sitting in a suit on the sidelines. It's hard to go out there and be like, "I'm going to show you how to compete right now, and you follow my lead. You get on get on my back, and we're going to go do this." Um, that's a different type of leadership that he's having to do right now. So I think it's hard to count on that being a major factor. Interesting that we're talking about this. The subtext is, and we haven't mentioned it, that the team as currently. Con- Constructed doesn't have an on-court leader. 
that is capable of showing that kind of intensity every single night that doesn't have a place with the team to be able to step up and say, all right, guys, watch this and then go perform and, and, and attack with passion. And that's, that's something that you really need when the team goes through adversity. And you could say that this is the most adverse stretch of time that they've had since before Timmy was on the team. And the lack of that seems very stark and evident at this point. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the everyone's tried to kind of turn a blind eye and not a blind eye, but just kind of pretend that wasn't happening. Uh, like when it comes to the turnover on the roster and losing those guys that have been there, um, you know, the, you look out on the court, I know we're going to talk about Patty Mills a little later, but I mean, when you, when you talk about the kind of leader that you need on the court, that kind of four general, Patty's the only guy who looks like he's bringing that sort of intensity. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, um, that he's one of the only guys left from that 2014, 2013 run. Um, he's one of the last guys that remembers what that was like. I mean, Marco's also there, but that's that's never been his forte is being out on the court and leading the charge. But, you know, he's I think that that's why it's been so fun to watch Patty in part is because he still looks like that guy from 2014 who was a part of something bigger. Except his hair is longer. His hair is his hair is great. His hair is the only thing that's better right now. <laughs> he's having a he's having a really good year. Let's talk, let's talk about one more thing coming out of the unrecognizable Spurs conversation and leading into talking about Patty Mills, Marco, and, and I think you've got a question for me about defense we want to get to, but the, the way that the team handles the fast break right now is, as a fan watching, incredibly discouraging. I've got no numbers on this. All I've got is is my gut feeling. All I've got is the eye test of watching the games. And as soon as the, the Spurs grab a long rebound, as soon as they turn somebody over and get out to run, my initial response, my the initial response of a guy that regularly sees the glasses half full, totally committed to an optimistic point of view, and when I see a fast break, I'm going, wow, all right. I, w- I wonder how they're going to get n- zero points out of this particular <laughs> ad- advantageous situation. What is up with that? Is that is that just me? Is there something supporting that? Is there, I mean, it, it seems like, <laughs> it seems like whenever Bill and Sean talk about the fast break, no, uh, fast break points, the break check is going to, donate bunny for every fast break yeah. point to whatever great charity that, that they are that I go, Oh, that poor charity this year. <laughs> I mean, they're going to be hurting. They're like fast breaks, got this money set aside to give them and the, and the Spurs can't score enough points to, to get fast break <laughs> the ability to give the money. I mean, it's like, it just, yeah, it, it should be, it should be pointed at, at, at a different thing right now because 
fast, uh, fast break points are not a great way to get more money to charity this year. Well, like you, I also have no numbers and only gut um, <laughs> bringing to this conversation. But I think that it's it's frustrating because it feels like it's something we should be good at. Uh, we have some athletic guys, you know. I mean, Dejounte Murray should be a monster on the fast break. That's just. I mean, it, maybe he will be someday, and he, but he's and not he right now, and, it, and he has been, and it. It feels like you, you see him get the ball and he takes these giant strides and he can get down the court in a blink and you're it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint where it falls apart, but I think that it a large part of it is um I mean we've we've talked a lot about how the Spurs aren't necessarily prolific at shooting threes. And I think the the fact that we don't have um we don't have guys out on the wing that are an out that are a real threat as an outlet. Um, I mean, that's a, a fundamental part of the modern fast break in the NBA right now is, is you go down a guy's bringing the ball on the court and guys fan out to the wings. They fan out to the corners and you drive to the basket. When people collapse on you, you kick it to, you kick it to somebody open on yeah. like uh, behind the three point arc. And we can certainly put guys out there, but I don't think that teams respect them. They don't, respect that threat and so you guys have you have guys collapsing on the on the ball handler and they're really collapsing you know it's it's three two or three guys really committing to stopping the guy in the paint and that affects their finishing ability it affects like uh, i think it would ends up what ends up happening a lot that we see is uh guys pull out of fast breaks earlier than they would have normally and that's frustrating because then you know it, it feels like you've wasted you've wasted 10 seconds on the shot clock it's hard to get into the rhythm of the like it what you've and, wasted and not only... is the ability to get easy buckets yeah. that's what's been wasted this opportunity to just drive down and throw that ball in the in the hoop with only a few guys that you have to beat or with a really easy basket and easy baskets are hard to come by right now transition bat opportunities being wasted is incredibly frustrating. There was one against the Lakers on Monday night where they got off running. Bryn Forbes got off on the left wing and they didn't even try to drive it. They just shot it, threw the ball over to Bryn for him to shoot it. And i found myself going, okay, Bryn Forbes is a good outside shooter. This, this, this works. He missed it. Yeah. Uh, he had a good game, but he missed that particular shot. And I was like, no, that's fine. That's, that's, that's good for me now. I would much rather have that than dribbling off a leg or making a point blank pass at a hundred miles an hour. The guy can't, goes out of bounds. Those things happen with such regularity that for me, it was a win for the team to get a wide open three point shot that didn't go in out of a transition opportunity. And the Lakers messed up approximately. 0.0 fast break opportunities on Monday night. Yeah, and it's it's hard to know whether or not that was <laughs> that was the overall difference or if it was the the everything else about LeBron James that was the overall difference, but I mean that <laughs> that's the you're right, like the idea of wasting we waste a lot of opportunities and we're not a team that can that can waste opportunities. You know, we have to we have to be slick and we have to be taking advantage of any little break that a team like the Lakers will give us. And, uh, 
they're just not doing it right now. And, you know, I think it's, it's apparent in how you look at us. We're not really getting blown out by teams. Like there's not been any massive losses that are, that are where everything doesn't go right. We keep doing this thing where we lose by about 10 points, eight points, 12 points, stuff like that. And that, it, I mean, I guess we're consistent. We've been, we keep talking about consistency. Um, oh man. But, uh, I thought I would, have, I would be consistent in that way. No, but, wait, but I mean, that's, I think leave. that's, that's what's, that's part of the problem is we keep, we're not a bad, we're not a bad basketball team in a lot of respects, but I think that we don't take advantage of opportunities and that's, when you can't get when you can't get stops, you need to score as efficiently as possible. When you score as efficiently as possible, you need to make use of the easiest opportunities to convert. Part of that's transition, and that is not happening. All right, we're going to take a quick sponsor break. When we get back, we're going to talk about Patty Mills's good season, great season, career season. We're going to talk a little bit about Marco Bellinelli, but before that, Charlie, I understand you've got a question about defense you want to ask me. So we'll do that next. All right, Pounders, thanks for sticking with us. This is J.R. Wilco. I've got Charlie Thaddeus here on the Superfluous Poppycock Podcast. Charlie, you got a question for me. What's up? Well, so I was, as I was watching the game last night, and, uh, you know, LeBron James was doing LeBron James things, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was thinking in the, you know, in the past, like, boy, like, you know, you stick Kawhi on on that guy. You put Danny Green on that guy. You you put your stopper on that guy. And I was thinking to myself, who, part of the problem with the version now is it seems like we don't have a stopper. And that's <laughs> a lot of teams don't have a stopper. That's fine. But then that led me down a, a bit of a darker path of trying to figure out who exactly is the Spurs' best defensive player right now. And uh, I, I couldn't come up with an answer, so I was hoping you maybe had one. Mm. I really like watching the way that Pop defends against the media's questions he doesn't want to answer. <laughs> he's a he's a he's a wall. That's what he is. He's a he's a brick wall. <laughs> uh, the Spurs' best defensive player. I'll tell you this much. I don't. I don't. Uh, the defense is so incredibly difficult to manage from a stats point of view, uh, as far as defense is concerned as far as that part of the game is concerned. I will tell you this much. When I see Derek White playing defense on someone, I relax a little bit. LeBron was going off yesterday, and Derek was on him third or fourth quarter, and I was like, okay, this should probably be a pretty good possession. Uh, LeBron just did a step back three. He was on fire at that point. Yeah. But Derek was right with him, challenged it as well as you could expect, and you got to tip your hat to the guy. Yeah, basketball I, I think is that a, he does a good a job of making. He does a good job of making guys work work for it. I mean, Derek White's never going to shut down LeBron James, but he's going to make he's going to make those types of possessions harder for him, and that's that's definitely that's definitely a win when a guy like LeBron is as hot as he was last night. Yeah, I. I got to go with Derek White just from from my gut the way that I feel as I'm I'm watching the game I I think it's possible the Spurs don't have a stopper but that doesn't mean they can't have a best defensive player. Do you have somebody you like? 
I don't, I don't have anyone I like. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I think that it's, I think that it, part of the problem is that I think coming into this season, I know that the us and the fan base were all expecting um, Dejounte Murray to sort of carry that mantle, and I think that I don't know how much they'll admit it or not, but um, I think that the coaching staff was sort of expecting that too, and I think that a lot of our scheme was on defense was built around the idea of, you know, we finally have an elite defender back in our starting lineup. Hooray. Everything will be, will be better now. And it's just, I think that he's a, I think that he's a good defender. I think that he has the chance to be great, but I think that you, he's just, he's very inexperienced. You can, he's, you can fool him. Yeah. You can fool him. And he's, I love his, his boundless, his seemingly boundless like energy but you know he he like guys will start driving in the paint and he'll jump he'll jump three feet down the lane and you know he changes direction too quickly and he he tries to get out in front of things and it's i think that's just that's inexperience it's excitement he's got a he's got to calm down and you know learn how to play within himself and be a little bit more controlled and you know i i think that'll come but i it's you know maybe we all got a little bit ahead of ourselves and anointing him as this, you know, amazing defensive player who is going to make everything better. Yeah. He played well within the system that year he came on and started instead of Tony Parker. And he maximized the, his ability to make a difference with the structure that was there that year, looking to him and leaning on him, for defense he's trying to do too much he's trying to deny the ball out on the wing and getting beat back door he's he's leaving his man and he's bouncing over to to attack the ball handler and and getting burned even his guy open and can't get back to him in time that's he's he has all the tools to be a great defender he hasn't built his internal database of things that can happen on a ball court, what I should and shouldn't do right now just yet. And that's part of the reason why Derek White uh, started against the Lakers. And speaking of the Lakers game, uh, Patty Mills didn't have a great game against the Lakers. He's having a great season. And I think those two things actually have a lot to do with one another. His great season is I think why the Lakers paid so much attention to him. What, what is it? When can you say that you've ever seen something in a Spurs game that made it obvious that the opponents had schemed for Patty Mills to make sure that he didn't go off? <laughs> it's definitely a it's definitely a new experience, um, and I think that it, you could you could tell it kind of flummoxed Patty a little bit too. Like he, he was coming off screens, and there'd be there'd be two guys, you know, jumping out on him. And he was, he was like, wait, this is, this is normally open for me. What's, what is this? Why, why is this happening? And I, what know, this he, is Patty is that your people are paying attention to you because you've been hurting teams. I, that's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, you, you wish that there was a, you wish that we could again, take advantage of opportunities like that. Like if, they're throwing they're throwing bodies at Patty Mills. It feels like someone else should be able to get a shot off. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, it's it's I'm 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 happy for Patty Mills. I felt like he did not have a 
he had an okay season last year. He did a lot of Patty Mills things, but um, he brings he brings a lot of intangibles to the table always whenever he whenever he steps on the court. Um, but I don't think he played very well last season, and uh, it's it's been nice to see him look like he has a lot of confidence in himself right now, um, and he's he's being the best version of Patty Mills right now. And I I wish that we were putting it to better use. Yeah, that would be it. Would be nice to be able to to lean back on expecting that a team is going to try and stop Patty Mills so that we can put some things in place and how to take advantage of defenses that are stretched to that degree. And you have to, uh, if that happens again, be ready because Patty Mills being on the floor, the Spurs need to score during those times because Patty just physical tools and otherwise isn't the best defender is one yeah. of the poorest defenders on the team. And so he's got to score at a high rate in order to justify being on the court in order, in order for the team to, to thrive when he's out there and to uh, score more points than they give up. I don't know. That's the formula I'll work on for later. <laughs> Tell me what you think about Marco Bellinelli as a sticking point with the fan base right now and what surprises you and kind of you know, makes you curious at this point. Well, I, I don't want to spend too much time on Marco because I, I think that part of my overall point is that it it seems weird to me how much of a sticking point he's become on, you know, the in, in the comment section. And can, can I interrupt first. at this point and say you don't want to spend too much time on Marco? That's what you did last year. <laughs> at the end of your what we learned posts, you just went hard with the with with the Marco watch and you would ex- just write these awesome passages where you're going into the details on on maybe even just one shot and and who Marco was. And now you're saying you don't want to spend too much time on him. What's going on? Obviously well, something's changed. <laughs> it's something something's changed. It I love Marco. I think that he's always been a very fun and interesting spur. And I think that uh, on teams in the past and even last season, his, pro- his sort of weird proclivities were a fun, you know, footnote happening on the margins of whatever else was going on. And uh, I think that it's safe to say that when things aren't going as well overall for the team, uh, his little shenanigans are not quite as, uh, quite as charming <laughs> to everybody. I, I still, I still enjoy a good, a good Marco off balance leaner, a good weird pat. Like you need a little weirdness on the team just to kind of throw things for a loop. But uh, when when everything else isn't working, it it doesn't. It's not as cute. It's not as fun. Um, and I think that it's really you see it when people are when you know casual fans are talking about the Spurs. Their biggest sticking point right now seems to be you know we got to everything will be better once we sit Marco. Once we get Marco out of the rotation and. You know, I I think that's probably right. I think that we all would love to see some other guys, you know, Damari Carroll, Lonnie Walker, it, you know, other guys getting some run and seeing if they can make things better. Because, um, you know, Mark Marco is an is an accent. He's not a uh, he's not a main dish, and we're just looking for answers right now. And I think we've seen enough of him to know that he's not the answer. And like, not, now is not the time to you know, suffer his, his antics. And I, I love him. I really, I really do. I, I, again, I spent a lot of time 
focusing only on him last season and it was really fun and i think that this is a symptom of you know when the when you're not winning games when you're not playing well it's it's less fun to be on the uh, on the marco bellinelli beat <laughs> just the fact that there is such a thing as a marco bellinelli beat oh man marco so much fun to watch when he's when he's on and such an absolute disappointment when you're going, hey, I've seen those off balance. There's no way he's taken that shot. He's taken that shot. I can't believe you took that shot. I'm glad you took that shot moment, yeah. right? When, you, when you're experiencing so many emotions strung together I mean, in a row. You see why and, I can see why Pop is is reluctant to kind of let go of the dream of Mar- of Marco because you know, you look at his what his skill sets are when he's when he is playing well, and we we need a guy like that. We need someone to stretch the floor. We need somebody to you know, um, have some inject some color into the offense every once in a while. Um, and you can see, and you know, when we talk about not having guys left over from the from the finals teams, you know, Mar- Marco's been a spur for a long time. He's got whatever whatever else he's got he's got that corporate knowledge he's been around he played with tim he played with manu he know like he should know better you know and i can see why <laughs> is that your whole sentence? Pop is, he should is know reluctant. better <laughs> yeah. marco bellinelli he should know better yeah i mean that's I that's, that's not, not really... the best that's not the best tagline he no. he had got his first dmp on friday right yeah zero minutes and i thought carol played well in his place and i thought i mean it's probably the right direction right now i guess he he played hard he didn't have a a great game but he's i think he's we're better off giving him those minutes as the season goes forward over a player that's that's averaging 29 percent field goal percentage from the floor 30% from three, 62% from free throws. And this is the thing. Marco is a shooter. Whatever else you say about him, he's a shooter. His free throws are at 62%. This guy is a career 84.4% free throw shooter. I'm not saying any of this to dog Marco. I'm not saying anything that nobody can't look up at the box score themselves. I'm just saying it seems obvious that something's wrong with him. Something's wrong with his play. He's ending up on the court in uh, with his body in ways where he's not even looking at the rim and he throws it back over his head. And I think that's the most frustrating thing. I can deal with the leaners. I can deal with the, with the three-point shots that don't look like they're going to go in as soon as they leave their hand because I'm, I'm used to him making those. Right. It's, it's, it's the point where there's, he's on the three-point line wide open and he pump fakes drives into an incredibly difficult shot that he just throws at the rim because the shot clock is over. And I'm thinking if any, if any shot at the rim is better than no shot, why not take the one when you were wide open at the three? I mean, you were standing still, there was no one around you. So you couldn't jump sideways into the shot. So I guess that would, that, that maybe took you out of your, your zone, but he's got no zone right now. And the worst well, if you read thing my about post it, last year, you would know that wide open threes make Marco Bellinelli very uncomfortable. He's not, <laughs> that's not his strength. It's you're definitely asking, you're not, asking a lot. Definitely not his strength. 
I love Marco too. The, and that's why it's so uh, frustrating and so disappointing to watch him play so poorly because it looks like he looks like Austin Powers out there after his mojo was taken away. Exactly. And that's, and that's, and that's just unfortunate for everyone involved. So it looks like that's going to do it for this episode of superfluous poppycock until next time, keep safe and let it fly. <laughs>